Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Spawn Daily episode. So, uh, apologies. I, I got the order a little bit mixed up. So, today, this is going to be Medieval Spawn and Witchblade. Previously, two days ago, the episode was Medieval Spawn Witchblade. It doesn't have the and. So, the, the first Medieval Spawn Witchblade story came out in 1996. Second one, it's actually a different Medieval Spawn, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but the second one by Brian Haberlin. Uh, doing the writing and the art, came out in 2018. So uh, still a great story. I wanted to put them out back-to-back, but I just had some te- technical difficulties with OBS. Hopefully my sound, my voice sounds better than it did previously. Uh, and I know this stuff sounds better than the episodes we're re-releasing that we originally had recorded in um, in 2022. So anyway, apologies. Uh, I, I wanted to get something out every day, so I did put out uh, issue 44, which is kind of a standalone issue yesterday, so still getting out an episode every day, but uh, Medieval Spawn and Witchblade today, and uh, a reminder, in case anybody's wondering, like, what the heck is Spawn Daily? <laughs> uh, so this all spurred out of the 30th anniversary of Spawn back in uh, 2022, like I said, when the original episodes were released, and it has to do with wanting to get caught up with Spawn, wanting to read Spawn in its entirety so that I could read the new books that were coming out because they seemed so interesting to me. Gunslinger Spawn, King Spawn, Scorched, and then the regular Spawn series as well. Um, And so I bought those issues when they came out. And what I found was there was a lot of things that happened with Spawn, uh, a lot of things that were mentioned in those issues that I didn't have context for because I had never read the original Spawn. So we decided, hey, that's about, at the time, a little over 300 issues, 320 issues, 365 days in a year. 2022, hey, let's celebrate the 30th anniversary of Spawn by reading and talking about one issue of Spawn every day. Uh, and then I found out, as we probably got like, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 issues in, that the tie-ins and the appearances of Spawn in other books were so important, and they were referenced in the main book uh, so much, kind of like early Marvel, where you didn't have to have it, but it just added to the richness of the story so much. So after we hit issue 50, I went back. I found a different reading order uh, put together by a gentleman named Blake Whitlow, who even joined me for a few episodes for a, a little while. Um, but his reading order had everything in a chronological fashion, um, not necessarily in a publishing order, but just in an order that really made sense to, to read an order. So we went back, we backfilled, and uh, read all the early crossovers. And then going forward after issue 50, we kind of read everything in the same order that was on the, uh, the reading order. So we're approaching 50 now. Uh, I'm releasing these in the, in the order of the, um, the hit Blake's reading order for the most part. There's a few here or there that I'm moving around for logistical reasons. <laughs> Never uh, where it won't make sense, but that's what we're doing. We're celebrating Spawn by uh, checking out, you know, the whole entirety of, of Spawn, and it's a good time to do it because this year, there's a ton more Spawn content coming out. I think 10 different Spawn series were announced at New York Comic Con in October. There's a new Kickstarter for what uh, Todd calls his most detailed action figure ever. Uh, Todd came on and, and talked about a lot of this stuff. There's also hopefully some uh, news on when the movie's going to start shooting and what the release date's going to be for the movie. So there's a lot of Spawn content this year. Perfect time to dive back in. Uh, I've, I've wanted to dive back in. I, I still want to complete this project, Daily Spawn, get caught up. But I've just been struggling to find somebody who will join me. Um, 
and partly because people just can't commit to recording a podcast every day. Now, I don't necessarily record every day. I like to get, you know, record two or three in a day, and then I can be a little bit ahead, skip a day of recording. But uh, that's a little inside baseball. I guess probably don't need to know that. But uh, it is challenging, right? It is a it is a commitment. So far, it hasn't been too tough because uh, you know I'm re-releasing stuff that's already been recorded. But uh, I've just ran into so many problems with um, the sound uh, on my audio program program I used to record actually yesterday. So again, apologies for having to stick Spawn 44 where I would not have chosen to put it. But again, um, not a big deal to have the two Spawn Witchblade series broken up. So let's go ahead and dive into uh, issue number one, Spawn Witchblade. You see the cover there, giving credit to Todd McFarlane as the the creator of Spawn. But as I mentioned, the story uh, and the art, both by Brian Haverlin and then uh, Brian Holgan, assist on the story. We have colors by Jared Van Dyke, letters by Francis Naga, I think is how you say it, and programming David Pence. (laughs) You might wonder what the heck program programming. Well, uh, Brian Haverlund works a lot digitally. So this is um, 2018, so before AI was really a thing and um, was something that people were using in comics. So not to worry about that, but Brian Haverlund does have a background in computers, digital art, that sort of thing. So you can see that, or, or at least I notice it, you know, looking at digital art when we're, we get into the book. It has di- very much a different look than what you might see in a, in a traditional comic work. Art was done in a, in a traditional way. Even art that's done digitally, um, this looks a little bit different from that. There's, a, there's kind of a slickness to it. I, I don't know that I that I like it um, because I feel like it loses a little bit of texture. But the art's very good, you know, especially in terms of visual storytelling. So it starts off. We see this ragtag band of medieval people, farmers, and what have you, and the the voiceovers telling us that they're not soldiers. Um, they are ragtag, you know, they're they're using their uh, whatever weapons they can lay hands on, scythes and um, clubs and rocks and whatever to fight the darkness because they have no choice. Um, and, uh, you know, we see them and there's young, very young boys that are fighting as well. And there's talk of, hey, he's too young to fight. And it's like, hey, uh, if, if all of us are killed, if all of us are overrun, then, you know, what's too young? Like everybody's going to have to to pull their weight, right? There's always an excuse. You know, so-and-so's too broken, and this guy's too old, and I'm too blind, and he's too young, and whatever. There's always an excuse. But, again, if we don't fight, um, we're not going to be around. So uh, they're fighting what looks to be like these zombie-like creatures. Uh, you know, in the first medieval spawn, which played, it, it, you know, the villain was the darkness. There's talk of darkness, and we, we hear darkness has spread across the land and these monsters from, you know, the dark, what have you. But it's not the darkness, you know, quote-unquote like um, the top cow figure, as it were, uh, or character. <coughs> Excuse me. So we see them fight. We see them stab. Um, it's, it's, it's a brutal scene. This guy stabs one of these zombies, you know, through it. He's like, hey, we can win this fight. And the zombie, it doesn't kill him, right? Swipes his head off, brutal, in that bottom panel there. And that's when the, the forces kind of break and run. You know, one of the young kids, one of the kids probably too young to be fighting, turns to run and trips over another kid who was killed. Um, they're just outnumbered. They're outnumbered. They're outgunned. They're not soldiers. Um, and as their ranks break, we see um, somebody comes to save them, as it were. And so 
I think this is supposed to be a horn sounding. Doesn't really make a heck of a lot of sense. Uh, but we do see here a close-up of, of Spawn's eye, but armored, right? Uh, so very familiar medieval Spawn. It's going to look familiar to you. So double page, or a full page, rather, splash. Uh, and we see that a medieval Spawn is there. He's able to vanquish the, uh, the forces of darkness. There, who They probably could have put up a pretty decent fight, but they're just so surprised by his appearance. Um, and... As after he vanquishes them, this young boy that we saw that was ready to break and run says the king has returned. And, you know, king, what are you, are you talking about? Medieval Spawn is not a king, at least as far as we know. Uh, but we'll get back to that in a second. Scene shifts. We're told that one of the crows that was there in the battlefield has to resist its natural instinct to go and uh, beat off the carrion left from the battlefield, dead bodies and whatnot. It, it's called back to its home. And so we see it, see it fly back to this castle. There's this woman, and she's wearing a crown of what looks like feathers, actually, and she talks about it returning, and, hey, what happened during the battle? Didn't, were my forces successful? Let me see what you saw. And she sticks her thumbs into the bird's eye, which is just really brutal. Uh, just, yeah, totally brutal when you when you look at it. Um, and she's able to see what the bird saw, including medieval spawn. She goes, oh, uh, curious uh, or interesting that they found a champion. She may have to use her own champion, which she calls out and, uh, it's Scourge, who is a character that, in the reading order, we haven't seen, but I, I know is a character in Spawn um, in modern times. So apparently this is a medieval version. And she talks about Scourge being loyal to her and faithful to her because Scourge loved her so much in her uh, in his previous life before she took his soul, whatever that means. So, again, this woman seems very heartless, very cold, uh, and it's kind of illustrated or um, the point is kind of emphasized. When she steps on the crow, you know, seemingly uh, oblivious to the fact that it gave its life for, for her. Um, so meanwhile, back on the, the battlefield, this young kid is explaining to medieval spawn that he has this sword, Peacebringer, which was um, the sword of the previous king, King Varan. So it must be King Varan returned. And spawn's like, ah, is that is that who I am? Is that, you know, he just doesn't have the memories of it. And... The uh, squire asks him, or the boy asks to be his squire and, and asks him to take off his helmet so they can see that he is King Varan. He takes off his helmet and he looks, he looks like a hellspawn, right? He's, he looks brutal. And the soldiers are taking it back and the, the kid's like, hey, maybe you better put your helmet back on. Um, so meanwhile, the soldiers, uh, or the fighters, again, they're not soldiers, return. Um, the young woman here is very distraught that her son, you know, this is the one that the squire tripped over, um, had died in battle, but. Um, hope they have renewed hope because their king has returned. So the lore keeper of the village is a person who kind of tells the stories and um, kind of keeps the history of the village. Talks about King Varan, who King Varan was to remind everybody. Uh, maybe there's people here that that weren't alive when King Varan was around. Mostly just helps us <laughs> to understand. So we're told about King Varan, who. Um, Unlike his father, was willing to fight for his people, uh, and so eventually they removed his father from the throne and put him on the throne um, because he would go out and fight for his people against marauders and what have you and keep them safe. Um, and once he became king, then they wanted him to marry, and there was various tribes, and they all put forth people, women, for foreign to marry. 
Uh, Bonin was very canny. Like he, he, he was worried it was going to cause conflict between the tribes if he chose one woman over another from a certain tribe. So he ends up finding this woman, Riel, who uh, very mysteriously appears one night. He's very smitten with her, falls in love. Um, and everybody's kind of happy. The king's happy. Um, but uh, Riel is very weird, very different. You know, whispers that she goes out in the woods at night and dances naked and other strange um, behaviors that she has. There's also rumors that maybe she is um, having an, an inappropriate relationship with the king's best friend, Leia. Um, but for the most part, people are happy, and when um, there's an attack from marauders in the north, the king goes to defend, even though Riel uh, doesn't want him to, and uh, she tells Leia, hey, when you go, you have to make sure that he comes back. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm charging you with protecting him. Unfortunately, the king is slain. Leith comes back. Uh, we're told that the, king, uh, the queen, in her, um, in her despair, closes the castle gates, and she's never to be seen again. Um, so that's uh, the story as relayed by the uh, Lord Keeper of King Varan. Unfortunately, upon his death, that's when the forces of darkness rise. They kind of uh, take over the land, and that leaves the land as we see it now. Um, so King Spawn, uh, or, or uh, I should say Medieval Spawn, he, he's listening to this as well. Um, that the Lord Keeper's saying, and he's saying, yes, Laeth, I, you know, I remember, Riel, I remember, yes, uh, I guess th this was my kingdom. Um, these are my people, but it doesn't look like what I remember it looking like. <laughs> and we get this interesting page here where he's looking down at the wasteland of his kingdom, but in the panel right below that, there's a lot of vegetation, everything is lush, um, and what have you. And so he kind of rides out, he's taking a survey of the land, and he comes across this place where um, so there was a village previously, a village that he had stayed at that had showed him, him and his troops hospitality, and he feels guilty. He wasn't able to protect them. He wasn't there, uh, and so he vows to drive the darkness from the land. Uh, meanwhile, the squire has gone out, and he is recruiting people to come and fight now that the king has returned, um, and he, he gives a very inspiring speech, and he's actually able to uh, recruit quite a few people. Meanwhile, uh, King Varan, or Medieval Spawn, as he's out uh, riding around, comes across this uh, almost like Stonehenge-like place um, where he sees somebody dancing. It, it reminds him of Riel, and uh, he wants to know who it is, and it turns out it's these, I guess for lack of a better term, witches. She calls herself Lady Guanan, um, and she talks about the, the world of Earth not really being their concern, except they're letting the darkness go unchecked, and it's spilling over into their world, and so they need to stop it, or Lady Gwenon is going to stop it, her and her um, compatriots, and they're not going to be discriminating when it comes to how they stop it. You know, Kind of a veiled threat. Like Either you handle the forces of darkness, or I'm just going to wipe out everybody here, good, bad, indifferent. Um, so we're also introduced to um, a little girl who has the power to apparently nature, Kildare is her name. Again, I think it's a, a character that we see later in Spawn, but we just haven't gotten there. Um, but uh, she's new to, to Earth, apparently relatively new in her power. She asks, well, what is this unhappy place? And I say, oh, it's called, it's called Earth. Um, so Varen has vowed to 
again, vanquish the forces of darkness. Um, he convinces the uh, Lady Guanan and her compatriots to leave, uh, says he'll take care of it, and he rides off. He finds his squire, and his squire uh, mentions that he's a king once again. And he's like, I just don't, I don't feel like a king, um, because a king should have a, a realm and a throne and a crown, and I have and an army, and I have none of those things. And the squire says, well, you got to start somewhere, and you do, in fact, have an army. And he shows him all the, the people that he's recruited um, to battle the forces of darkness alongside King Baran. So uh, that's the first issue. It, there's a complexity to the story. It's not super. It's not a super simple story like, um, like the first one was, uh, which ended up feeling a little bit choppy at times, uh, but pretty interesting. So we go on to the second story, same creative team, Brian Haverlin and Holgan on story, Brian Haverlin on art, Gerard Van Dyke on colors, letters by Francis Takanaga, programming David Penez. And this issue starts off, and we actually see the uh, bear of the Witchblade uh, fighting against forces of darkness. Uh, she's not given a name, but she is fighting against them uh, before she is unfortunately uh, taken out uh, and killed. And it's, it's interesting. I, I like what uh, Haberlin and Holguin do here because um, they talk about how, as a fighter, you can fight thousands of fights and be victorious and be a great fighter. But when it's a fight where you're risking your life, you can only afford to lose once. You can only afford one mistake. Um, and then you're dead. And so that's what we see here. Um, the bear of the Witchblade is killed. She falls into the sea. Witchblade falls into the sea as well. Um, and then we flash forward, which is interesting, right? Because we're already in the past, but then we're told um, many years later, we see a couple of ships. They almost run into each other. One of them, uh, one of the people on the ship yells at the, the one-man ship uh, and says, hey, what are you, you know, blind? And the guy's like, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. Uh, which is good because, uh, you know, the, I don't have to look at your ugly face. Um, and he goes, but there's nothing wrong with my nose. I can smell the caverns and brothels of Bleak Haven, uh, which is where he's headed. So once he gets on shore, he's casting bones or stones or doing some kind of divination um, to try to find the, the future. We don't know who this guy is at this point. Uh, all we know is his name is, uh, do we know his name is Seahawk at this point? His name is Seahawk. I don't know if we actually know at this point. What's interesting, while he's trying to um, predict the future with, you know, this arcane ritual of his, somebody walks by and thinks he's a beggar, I guess because he's blind, has a you know, walking stick, and tosses a, a penny in his bowl. And he's like, get out of here, what are you doing? Uh, now i got to start all over. Um, so he is able to, to, t to tell the future to get some information to figure out where he's supposed to go. Um, and... What, he, what we're told he is, is he's someone who, who looks for the artifacts. And so we see that he's being instructed to go find the Witchblade, to go find where it is and um, get it to its, its rightful bearer, whoever is supposed to, uh, to wear the Witchblade next. <coughs> I'm sorry. So uh, he also sees that there's um, a new champion that has come. And obviously that's Medieval Spawn. And then uh, we see that the Witchblade and Medieval Spawn together are supposed to vanquish this darkness. We see a picture of that woman with the, the uh, feather crown, if you will. So uh, then we flash over to a house where we see a young girl and a bird, and they're stealing bread from a woman. Um, and we come to understand that this is the, 
supposed to be the bearer of the uh, witchblade. And Seahawk finds this interesting. He's like, oh, she's a, she's a thief, huh? Um, well, you know, you do what you can to survive, I guess, with what she needs to do. It'll be a useful skill. Uh, let me go ahead and, and go find her. And he actually transports. He, he like, disappears in a, in a flash of light uh, and appears next to her in a, in a horse where she's sitting with uh, eating the bread that she just stole along with the bird. And right away, this little girl is suspicious of him and says, hey, look behind you, and then tries to run off. And he, he, he says, um, is that supposed to be a joke? Like, you're big, and no disrespect, telling a blind man to look behind him. Um, and she's like, man, I'm just trying to run away from you. And, he, you know, you're blind. You'll never catch me. And he says, well, well he, again, he teleports from behind her to right in front of her. She runs right into him. And he says, I, I don't need to catch you when you're running right to me. And she's like, how did you do that? And so uh, that's how Starling and, uh, and Seahawk meet. So uh, meanwhile, the, uh, the evil queen is trying to get information on uh, who King Varan is or, or who this champion is that has showed up. And she wants information about the Witchblade as well. Uh, it's clear that she's aware of the Witchblade and she wants its power for herself. Um, one of the women gives in, uh, and betrays her village um, in the hopes of saving her own life. She's not successful. The woman kills them anyway after saying they don't know anything about the Witchblade. But um, they do believe it is King Barn that has uh, returned. And the rumors are that there's some girl named Starling who is um, supposed to be the next bearer of the Witchblade because her mother, and that's the red-headed woman we saw fighting at the beginning of the issue, uh, her mother was a, a member of that village. Uh, but when she died, Starling disappeared. Nobody really knows where she is, but sh she's the one that's destined to uh, to carry the Witchblade. So, uh, again, the evil queen says, hey, thanks for betraying everybody, uh, and she kills them all. So, again, showing her uh, inability to have any sort of compassion or mercy whatsoever. So she wants to find Starling. She creates this, I don't know, monster-looking thing. It's got a bunch of tentacles. It can fly and sends it off to find Starling and uh, and fetch her the Witchblade. Uh, next up, we switch back to Seahawk and Starling. They're on a ship. Uh, we know when Starling's mother died, she fell into the ocean, fell into the sea. So... Uh, and when Seahawk had the vision, that's uh, where he saw the, the Witchblade to be, somewhere in the water. Um, so there's some back and forth between Seahawk and Starling. She doesn't know how to swim. He's like, don't worry about it. Everybody knows how to swim. You swam in your mother before you were even born. You'll remember. Um, but Seahawk's also trying to convince her that she's destined for great things. And she's like, I don't, you know, I don't feel like I'm destined for great things. And he says, we got here to the ship by me waving my hand, and, and they teleported, right? Uh, and we traveled here in an instant, and you didn't even say anything about it. And Starling's response says, well, that, because that seemed like that's how it should be. He said, see, you're not normal. You, you are part of this supernatural world. Um, so as they're searching for the Witchblade, as they're on the ship, um, that monster, that, that uh, demon or messenger, or whatever the heck you want to call it, that the evil queen created, finds them, knocks Starling overboard, um, and the, uh, the Seahawk is able to, uh, fight him off using his abilities. And the queen is surprised. She's like, man, he's got a lot more power, you know, than I thought. And the sea, uh, Seahawk is, 
he's uh, he's very surprised that the evil queen is able to track. He's like, I've been using all these cloaking spells. How are you able to track? He's like, oh, the queen's interesting, you know, kind of a, a villain soliloquy here, giving away the secrets. But she says, well, yeah, you're cloaked. I can't track you. But Starling, uh, you know, she shows up, you know, bright, and uh, I can track her wherever she goes. So uh, Seahawk says, well, I, I don't really um, – I don't really have time, as it were, to, uh, to worry about this. I need to go and uh, and save Starling. Because, again, you know, she mentioned that she couldn't swim. She knocked overboard, what have you. So uh, he dives in the water after her as she's sinking. But, um, I don't know, pretty coincidental. Maybe it's just um, the, the Witchblade sense that she was going to be there or some destiny or, or whatever you want to you want to put it, but as she's falling, as she's drowning, she senses the Witchblade. The Witchblade is right there next to her and uh, attaches itself to her, and as uh, a Seahawk grabs her, she has the power of the Witchblade um, and is able to fly back up onto the ship, and she's starting to understand who she is and just how big of a story this is, how big of a, an adventure, epic adventure to the point where she's overwhelmed and she, she passes out in Seahawk's arms. And he says, you're, you're safe now, or as safe as, uh, as any of us can be. So meanwhile, at the uh, camp of Medieval Spawn, uh, we see that Scourge has arrived there to, uh, to take out Medieval Spawn, takes out the sentry with just a wave of his hand, and uh, the other soldiers are about to uh, attack him, and Spawn says, no, stay back, he's mine. He's challenged me. Obviously, he wants to keep his uh, soldier safe. If, if he's going to risk anybody's life, it's going to be his own, whatever that means, uh, you know, as an undead hell spawn. So as uh, Scourge and Medieval Spawn are about to attack each other, that's where issue uh, two ends. So we get to issue three, same creative team. We see the battle is joined between uh, between Medieval Spawn and Scourge. The queen is... Uh, looking on with her powers of second sight and with one blow medieval spawn appears to be defeated and so scourge prepares to destroy the rest of his soldiers when medieval spawn uh, gets up says hey i'm not defeated won't let you uh, attack my lands prepare to die um and there's a, a little bit more of a of a fight between the two a little bit more back and forth and it looks like Medieval Spawn actually has the, the upper hand and, and tells Scourge to, to yield. It's like, why would I yield? Um, you know, I've, I've killed thousands in my years. And as uh, Scourge is there on the ground, uh, Medieval Spawn notices the pendant around his neck and it looks familiar to him. He's like, who is this Scourge? Is it somebody that I, that I might know? Um, the name Lieth comes up. The name King Baron comes up. Um, and the, the queen says, I've seen enough. Scourge returned to me. And Scourge is disappointed, like, wait, what? Why would you want me to return? Let me, let me kill this guy. Um, but he, he does as he's bidden, and he, uh, and he leaves. And then Spawn has a conversation with, uh, with his squire, wondering, you know, who is this Scourge? Who is this evil queen? The answers may be found in his old castle, Castle Barnen. So that's their goal, um, to... Uh, to get into the castle and get some answers. And uh, his squire's like, uh, the evil queen is in the castle. Like, 
um, you know, we've got to go through the darkest places in order to get there, uh, you know, places plagued by monsters. And a medieval spawn says, you know, we have to go, um, and he wants to find Riel as well. Um, like maybe she's found some way to keep herself safe all these years. A little wishful thinking on, on his part, but uh, clearly he cares about this Riel still and, and wants to see if she's okay. So while they're traveling, the, the woods themselves come alive, the trees attack them. Um, doesn't go well, obviously, and Medieval Spawn saves as many as he can, um, but they it, it's too dangerous, he feels like. So he says, I'm going to continue on alone to the castle. Um, you guys go back. He doesn't want to risk the lives of any of his subjects. The squire won't go back. He says, no, my my, uh, my place is at your side. So credit him for his bravery. But then when he is actually attacked, he does kind of run and hide, uh, overcome by fear. Um, but he's learning. He's growing as a kid. And we're told that that will be the last time he's surprised by his fear. Not the last time he's afraid, but the last time he'll be uh, surprised by his fear. Meanwhile, back on the ship, now that um, Starling and Seahawk have found the Witchblade, they're heading to um, the same place, Castle Varen, to help dispel the darkness <coughs> that's in the land. So Starling and Seahawk arrive at the, I guess we'll call it the Kingdom of, of, of Valen. Um, but it's interesting because Seahawk, although he knows they're supposed to go to this castle and defeat this uh, evil queen and vanquish force of darkness or what have you, doesn't know exactly, like he's got to sit there and, and figure it out, right? Like he's got to access his visions or what have you. But Starling just takes off and goes. And he's like, how do you know which way to go? I haven't even uh, told you which path to take yet. And he's like, no, this is the way. And, and Seahawk's like taken aback. Are you sure? Yeah, I can feel exactly where I'm going. The, basically, the witchblade is, is leading her. And sure enough, it's not very long before they see the castle in the distance. Uh, and Starling's saying, yeah, this gauntlet, this witchblade, it seems to to speak to me. It's telling me to search the castle. And she's complaining about the fog and, you know, injecting a little humor here. Uh, the Bryans are like uh, having Seahawks say, fog? What fog? Um, and then Razorbeak shows up, uh, Starling's little pet bird. He's squawking, like, hey, what's going on? What are you trying to tell us? Well, they're trying to tell you that the forces of darkness are there, like all these giant monsters that guard the castle, and now they have to battle. And although they're formidable, right, uh, especially with the ability to teleport that uh, Seahawk has, he's got to be able to concentrate. He's got to be able to, um, you know, say his spells, and, 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 and we'll also learn there's uh, another part to his magic as well. And Starling, although the Witchblade's very powerful, you know, she just got it. She just got it. So um, they decide to take shelter. They notice a church off in the distance. So they run that way. <laughs> they find um, a stairway that leads down to a crypt. They're trying to hide that way. Um, but what they find is maybe due to the dark magic that's going on, the crypt is not safe either. Not only do they have the monsters chasing them that are trying to get into the crypt, but the the dead that are in the crypt are, are restless dead. You know, they're attacking them as well. Uh, and this is where we learn about uh, what Seahawk needs to use this magic, right? Uh, there's no other way out other than the way they came down. That's where the monsters are coming from. And Starling's saying, we need a way out. And Seahawk says, okay, well, let me clear my mind. Let me focus. There's not really a way to, to, to focus with everything that's going on. But there's another part to it, 
right? So as the dead are rising and attacking them and what have you, uh, Starling, a little bit heroically, I guess you'd say, especially for someone so young uh, and obviously new to the Witchblade, saying, I'll hold them off, old man. You make a run for it because they, they do discover another passage which may lead to the surface. Um, and that's where we learn about Seahawk's karma. He says, um, you're right. The, the, the choices I've been making lately have been a little bit selfish, and it's harming my karma. Um, that's bad for my powers. And Starling's never even heard of karma. She's like, karma, what's that? And he, and he said, it's complicated. If I show cowardice by running, my powers are actually going to diminish even more. But if I stay and fight and allow you to save yourself, then karma's going to swing back in my favor. I'll be more powerful again. Uh, and Starling's like, well, that doesn't sound like any magic I've ever heard of. Seahawk doesn't want to argue, right? He's like, I, I don't care. Uh, just go. You got to get out of here. Um, and sure enough, as she runs and he's making the sacrifice, he he becomes more powerful. And he's able to fight off the, the undead as well as some of the monsters that were chasing them. Uh, and literally, you see in this panel here in the middle of the page where he kind of explodes the heads of all of these monsters. Uh, and he's got to pat himself on the back like, hey, dude. You need to chill because, again, your magic is partly due to karma, but he pats himself on the bike and says, you still got it, you Seahawk, you old devil. Uh, and meanwhile, as um, Starling's running through the passageway, she comes across all these spores and inhales them, and we see it affects her. Um, she's having uh, kind of hallucinations as she heads outside. She thinks that she sees her mother and her grandmother, her ancestors, basically, the people that have wielded the Witchblade uh, before her, but we can tell as a reader right away that this is not really uh, who they purport to be because they're talking about um, how evil men are. Like, you know, look at our ancestors. Look at the people who have wielded the uh, witchblade before. Um, these are all your mothers, and they've all died at the hands of men, and they show them uh, crucified and burned at the stake and imprisoned and what have you. And, and they're saying, yeah, all men are evil. Whoever wields the power needs to, um, you know, defeat all men, destroy all men, kill all men. So although these are horrible things that, and some of them may be true, that the bearers of the Witchblade have gone through before, you can't paint it with that broad brush, right, that all men are uh, evil and what have you. So is this the darkness of the land affecting a starling, is it those spores? Is it a combination of the two? Well, it's probably a combination of the two, right? I mean, these are these are spores which are hallucinogenic, and they might have uh, made starling feel a little out of it to begin with, but you add in the, the kind of the darkness that seeped into the land, and, and even these spores themselves are, are kind of evil. So they're imploring starling to follow their will and uh, saying, don't ask questions. When you come across a man, strike first and without mercy. Um, and as she's finishing up this vision, who shows up but the squire and King Varin. And just as they bade her, as soon as she, uh, she sees them, Starling attacks. And they're like, whoa, hold on. Like, what's going on? Um, you know, who are you? Why are you attacking us? And, you know, they, they had greeted her like, hey, you know, who are you? Um, can we help you? Do you need help? And Starling says, you know, I won't, I won't be fooled by your kind words. And she's keeping up the attack. She says, I'm the bearer of the Witchblade. And she's, she actually looks like she has uh, King Varin there um, at her mercy, 
right? Like she's standing above him. He's laying on the ground. He's probably a little reluctant to uh, attack a child. So that's how the third issue ends. We get to the fourth and final issue here. Again, same creative team, uh, the Brian Haberlin and Brian Holgan, the Brian's uh, doing the story. Script by Brian Haberlin, colors by Gerard Van Dyke, letters by Francis Takanaga. So as this uh, issue starts, we actually start in present-day New York. And we see a couple of people, uh, one of them named Adam, not sure who that is, and Kildare is the other. Kildare, who we saw in the first issue, kind of that, uh, that young witch or fairy, if you will, <laughs> the one that had the ability to uh, make a tree blossom just by touching it. And they've waited centuries for this moment. Um, Adam's being pretty impatient, and Kildare's saying, we've waited centuries, wait a few more minutes. They say, well, if he comes at all, I have my uh, doubts um, that this is the time that he's actually going to come. You know, I guess we'll have to wait and see. And he's looking at uh, some ad for a Smithsonian uh, accepting a rare manuscript. And there's, like, this medieval drawing there. So no, no idea who they're waiting for, um, but I guess, you know, we'll have to wait and see. So kind of interesting, like all along it's been all set in medieval times, and all of a sudden, at the end of the fourth issue, we jump ahead to the present day. It's like, wait, what's going on? So as we left off last issue, Sarling had attacked uh, the squire and King Varen, um, and even though the squire is no match for the Witchblade, he does try to uh, defend his, uh, his liege, and he manages to sneak up on Starling and, and uh, crack her in the back of the head, kind of knock her out. Meanwhile, her bird, Razorbeak, is flying around and uh, attacking him. He's like, damn bird, it's taking a swat at it, what have you. Uh, and as all this is happening, Seahawk shows up. He's like, what's going on here? What the heck? Uh, and the squire's like, this stupid bird's trying to pick my eyes out. This woman attacked me. And, uh, you know, Seahawk took the same path that, uh, that Starling did. So he's aware of the spores. Uh, he says that he, he probably inv- inhaled these toxic spores. They poison your mind. Uh, you know, use your ability, call on the Witchblade, you know the truth, uh, look inside yourself, recognize what's foreign, and expel it. And sure enough, she's able to do that and vomits out the, the spores. So then uh, our two uh, bands of adventurers compare notes, and um, Starling's explaining her vision. She said, yeah, I saw these women. It, uh, it seemed so real. They said I couldn't trust any men. I saw three women, three queens. And uh, King Varen's like, three? Well, you know, we only know of one evil queen. And Seahawk says, well, uh, I've seen these queens in my dream as well. Uh, you know, I fight for righteous. She's the bearer of the Witchblade. You know, what cause do you serve? And they say, well, he's, he's uh, I think I've been saying Varen. It's Valen, High King of the Northlands. Um, and he's fighting against the forces of darkness. And Seahawk's like, ah. I sense that your mind is clouded. You're uncertain if you're actually this King of Allen or not. Um, but would you join us? You know, we, we journey south to the castle as well. Um, and uh, King Valen's uh, medieval spawn is, says, what, south? The, the castle's to the north. Like, what are you talking about? So apparently all is not as it seems in terms of where this castle is. I'm sure it's the evil queen uh, manipulating people's perceptions to keep herself safe, right? Just another way to, to safeguard herself. And... Uh, Seahawk says, "Yes, yeah, something's amiss. You're sensitive in the north. We sent, you know, I sense it in the south. Let me see if I can clear my um, my senses and find out where it really is." And as he's doing that, the castle appears uh, above them, floating. So apparently, not only can she 
uh, disguise where it is and make people believe it somewhere it's not. She, it can actually move. It's flying in, uh, through the sky. So the, the, the queens then show up, and we see that it is actually three queens, but they're all the same. Uh, and it's kind of a, a, a play on the, the um, Catholic Trinity. Instead of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's Mother, Daughter, Unholy Spirit. And we see their different um, iterations here. So we have the mother, who's the evil queen that we've seen throughout with the crown, uh, the giant crown of feathers. We see the daughter aspect of her, which my understanding is just one big evil spirit, right, that has divided itself into into three when needed. So, again, we have the, the queen, sorceress, and what have you. We have the daughter, who's actually Riel. So we know that she bewitched Valen back in the day to get him to marry him. Then we have the unholy spirit. That looks to be kind of the darkness that has uh, infected the land. So uh, there's some back and forth here. Uh, Val is trying to talk to Riel, saying, Riel, yours have been kind to you, as beautiful as ever. Um, she's not having it. She's like, you're not King Valen, even though you carry his, uh, his sword, Peacemaker. And the squire's arguing with her. Oh, this is indeed the king. Uh, you'll learn to your internal um, sorrow. And Riel says, no, it can't be the king because this is the king. And she pulls out the scourge, like the scourge is there. And the, the, the evil queen uh, sorceress says, yeah, we changed him. Look at the pendant around his neck. We changed him. Uh, even in death, he was bound to us. He, you know, he crawled. It took him seven years to crawl back from the battlefield um, after he'd been killed. And then we, you know, took his soul and transformed him into the scourge. And so medieval spawns like, well, if that's true, then, then who am I? All along, he's believed that he's King Valen. And Scourge is the one that answers, actually. He says, you're the betrayer. Supposedly you were my friend, you are Laeth, but you uh, you stole my bride. And as uh, he says this, as Scourge says this, uh, Laeth remembers. He's like, oh my God, you're right, the veil's lifting. Riel enchanted me as well and, and had me uh, make love to her beneath the stars. And Riel says, well, if you're Lieth, show your face. And he takes off the helm, and he's all jacked up, as most Hellspawns uh, are. And Riel, she's a little gentle with him for being evil, you know. She's like, ah, it is you, the two most handsome men uh, that I, you know, manipulated and what have you. So you, you feel bad for King Valen, uh, you know, having been turned into the Scourge. You also feel bad for Lieth. I mean, these guys were best friends, um, but, in, you know, enchanted and bewitched by this evil woman, uh, this evil uh, sorceress. To the point where Lieth betrayed, and he says, "Can you ever forgive me?" Uh, that's what Lieth says, and he, he's, he's like, "For uh, for stealing my wife, maybe, but for killing me, never." So it it wasn't even that wasn't even the worst part. Like Lieth stealing his wife wasn't even the worst part. While they were battling, it was Lieth that was you know under this spell that actually backstabbed his king, and then took the sword and rode back to uh, to Riel, and as the scourge is recounting this as, as King Valens recounting this. Leah says, I, I remember it's all true. Uh, but once I returned, I didn't claim my prize. I, I realized what I had done. I saw Riel or what she was, um, not one, but three, um, you know, and, and that aspect of her Riel was, uh, the most human. Um, but I was so distraught. He was so distraught that he, he tried to kill himself. He jumped uh, out of one of the windows of the castle with, um, with the sword Peacebringer, but rather than dying, rather than falling to the cobblestones, the ground opened up, and he ended up in hell. And that's where uh, Malbolgia recruited him to be a hellspawn. Again, that same old deal that uh, Malbolgia so often 
uh, fond of giving, right? Like, a, I will restore you to life, you know, whatever that means, life as a hellspawn. But I'll restore you back to, you know, your, the earth and you can have your revenge and what have you. So now that all the, the pieces are, are in place, um, the queens basically say, yeah, now you can go your own way uh, because we're going to rule the earth. Uh, we're going to consume it. And they ask Starling to uh, to join them. Like, hey, with the power of the Witchblade, uh, you know, you've, you've been tricked and what have you, but you can join us. Uh, and, and be uh, rule alongside us, basically, which we know that's not true, right? Riel and, and these other aspects of her are only trying to get uh, Starling to not fight against them because they figure if they can do that, at some point they'll be able to take the power of the Witchblade for uh, for themselves. Because right now it's bonded with Starling, and they're you know they wouldn't be able to remove it. But she's not fooled for a second. Starling's not fooled for a second. Um, she attacks, and we have. Uh, her going up against the three different aspects of, of Riel, of the evil queen, and we have the Scourge and Lieth fighting against each other, uh, a, bat a battle long, long, long in the making, as it were. So interesting art here, a little esoteric. Uh, again, you can see the, the digital influences, digital painting um, from Brian Haverlin. And uh, as they're fighting, the queens kind of, meld together and achieve their final form, as it were. And it's pretty terrifying. It's pretty frightening. You wonder, uh, with the way it looks on that full-page spread, are, are they even really female? I, mean, I, I guess they are, but, man, they just look horrifying. They just look uh, awful. And so, yeah, it looks like it's going to be a pretty uh, tough battle. Uh, even it doesn't appear that the Witchblade is going to be able to stand up to it, although we see uh, Starling trying. She's sending out the, the, the vines. It's interesting. Later on, the Witchblade that most of us know, Sarah Pizzini, um, it's more of these, like, dark threads or what have you. Here, medieval times, maybe it's uh, an aspect of Starling <coughs> having spent so much time in the forest as a child, but they look like these uh, vines with a bunch of thorns and, and what have you. So, they're again, they're doing their best to fight, but they're, they're vastly outnumbered. Um, they know they're going to lose, and uh, they're trying to figure out how they can possibly win. And, and again, the, the Queens are giving them a chance to join them, especially Starling. You can't win. Uh, our followers are Legion. You slay one, another takes its place. Um, and uh, Starling appeals to the Hellspawn thing. Lieth, whatever you're calling yourself, um, you know, you, you've been battling um, the, the Queens, and I've been battling her minions. It's time to switch. It's time to switch because this is not working. Um, and, and maybe it's that Starling senses how much power there actually is in the Witchblade. Um, but she's actually able to, to hurt the this giant Voltron monster uh, of the Queens, uh, which is kind of surprising when she unleashes the, the full power of the Witchblade. But still, it doesn't really seem to be enough. Um, you know, it... it damages her, it wounds her, and she's got this hole in her, uh, but she says, oh, that was impressive, but give us more, right? Like, she's standing there with the hole in her, um, but it, it's it's not enough, and, and the squire's worried that, yeah, they're going to they're gonna lose, um, all their fighting's going to be for nothing, and uh, Spawn is ready to give up, um, saying this is beyond my powers, and, and the squire um, if refines his faith, basically, in the midst of this battle, right? He, he's always believed, even though this isn't the king that he thought it was, um, King Valen, 
uh, he believes he's seen what medieval spawn has done. He's seen him fight all these battles. He says, uh, the demon who made you and sent you back said he gave you the power to make amends. So, you know, don't give up. You've got to try. And uh, medieval spawn says, yes, Malbolgia, he did remake me. Uh, and if I could, you know, he remade me out of necroplasm. And if I could unleash all the necroplasm that shapes me, um, if I could, you know, tear my body apart, sacrifice myself so that the earth would live, I would do it. And, and that's what he does. He, like, opens his chest up, and uh, the necroplasm that makes up who he is uh, bursts forth, and finally that is able to uh, destroy or at least vanquish, send somewhere else perhaps, um, these three queens. But it has expended all the energy um, that Lieth had, um, and the Scourge as well. Uh, he turns back into uh, King Valon at, at the last minute and finally knows peace. Um, but for Spawn, he's he's going to die. Uh, well, what's interesting is Seahawk says, well, uh, he, his wounds are grave, but uh, his fate was to find redemption. Uh, now, once he does, the deal he made with Malbolgia, once he finds redemption, he's going to be sent back. He's going to be sent back to hell. Um, and so they decide, uh, Seahawk decides, we're going to send him far into the future where there is no Malbolgia. And then the deal that uh, he made is, is kind of null and void, right? Um, so that's what they do uh, with the power of the Witchblade and the power of Seahawk. Um, they kind of team up. Seahawk takes the Witchblade in his, in his hands, although Starling's still wearing it. Uh, and they send the body, uh, or, or they send uh, medieval spawn into the future, and that's where we find out, and we see Malbolgia screaming there at the bottom, no, he lost his prize, and he made a deal to give the power to Lieth so that he could have his redemption. He had his redemption, now he doesn't have to serve Malbolgia, he's been sent into the future. Um, so then uh, Seahawk and the Squire and uh, and Starling are talking about, hey, do, do you think he uh, he made it. Do you think he's safe? And uh, the squire says, well, you know, I believe in justice. Yes, he did wrong things, but he paid for his sin, and he seemed to be a decent person. Um, you know, I, I hope he's right. And so then Seahawk turns to Starling and says, okay, uh, now that you've seen the power of the Witchblade and you've seen what I do, will you join us? Will you become one of the trusted? Uh, and she's not about that, right? She used to be on her own, have her own freedom. So if you need help, you can call on me, but I'm not joining your roving band of warriors. Um, you know, I'm going to go and, and try to learn about the women uh, that I've been descended from. Uh, and Seahawk says, hey, you know, I respect your choice. You seem wise beyond your years uh, and, and wishes her the best. So uh, we find out that this story has been told by this, uh, this squire years and years later. Um, and so... Uh, they ask him to tell more more stories, like what happened to the Hell Spawn, uh, and Owen. I, I think I've called him the Squire throughout. His name's Owen. As they said, T tell us more stories. He says, uh, you know, another time I may tell you uh, some more stories. And then we flash back to the future, like we did right at the beginning of this issue, and we see Kildare, and we see Adam, and we see that uh, the Hell Spawn appears. He's got that pendant, and uh, apparently that's some sort of elemental dark forces that were brought with them. So I don't know if that's like a story point or what have you, uh, but they are able to vanquish that. And medieval spawn has made it to the future. And 
Uh, he asks, what is this place? And they say, hey, it's a long story. we got a lot of time to tell you. Um, and as they're kind of helping him to his feet, he screams out, saying that his, his face feels like it's on fire. It feels like it's melting. Um, and when he takes his helm off, we see that he's restored. Uh, and he says, the demon Malbolgia likes his servants as repulsive am I. Uh, I'm sure I look hideous. And uh, Kildare says, no, not repulsive at all. You're born again because Malbolgia's gone. You have no master. Uh, whether you choose to be good or evil from this moment on is all up to you. And that's how the story ends. So very interesting. Again, you know, based on where we are and what I've read of Spawn, I don't know if we see more of Lieth at some point. Um, now that there is no Malbolgia in the future where he is, um, does that mean he doesn't have any power? I mean, we see that he's restored. Does that mean he doesn't have the powers of the Hellspawn anymore? Or does he? Obviously, this isn't the same medieval spawn that we've seen in the past, uh, that being Sir John. You know, medieval times did last a long time, so, you know, there's every chance there could be um, more than one uh, medieval spawn at, at some point. But, again, just don't know who Lieth is, what his future holds. Uh, it could have been a case where uh, maybe the Bryans had plans for more if this sold well. Uh, I'm just not sure. But in terms of just evaluating the story for what it was, it, it is enjoyable. It's um, it's much more layered and complex than the first Medieval Spawn Witchblade series, which you know I talked about a couple days ago, and I mentioned at the beginning of this uh, episode uh, that this was so much more layered. Interesting characters. You know, as much as it is layered, and the complexity comes in the characters and their motivations, and a little bit of a plot twist, right? Like, all along we thought that uh, Medieval Spawn was King Valon, and it turns out it's Lieth, there's Betrayal, a uh, little bit of uh, mis uh, misandry and misogyny uh, with the whole gender conflicts and what have you. It's um, so a little, little cliched here or there, and the you know, first issue focused on Medieval Spawn, but we didn't get a lot of character, and then he's kind of mis uh, mysterious. Then the second issue really focuses on Seahawk and, and sort of the Witchblade aspect of the story. And then three and four kind of bring it all together. So again, a, com a complex story uh, in terms of characters and, and that plot twist and more layers. You know, nobody's out and out good. Nobody's out and out bad. You know, we're not at the extremes. Uh, again, with the more simplistic characters like we had in the first uh, Spawn Witchblade. Um, but as far as the story itself, that it is pretty simple, right? Like, uh, and, and I won't say cliched, but but sort of classic, right? Like this idea of a king being bewitched, his and and being killed, betrayed, and then his land being besieged by darkness, and you know, there's a an evil sorcerer, an evil magic user, it's very typical. And then we have a, a you know a knight in shining armor, in this case, medieval spawn, ride in and save the day, and uh, puts together a band of warriors. You know, obviously we have Seahawk and. Starling joining him to do that. So, yeah, you know, sort of these classic fantasy stories that, re that really work. Um, and so, all in all, it was enjoyable and an entertaining read. And I think the art, although, again, it has that kind of slickness to it and lacks a little bit of texture that I think uh, if it was done in a more traditional fashion, it might have. It still works, and it's very strong storytelling, uh, especially like um, the emotion, the faces that were given. And, and it's not, even though it tends to be... Um, kind of a, a darker or drearier story in terms of color, uh, it's not muddy at all because it is done digitally and you can do a, a fantastic job with shadows and, and that sort of thing when it's digitally painted. Um, but one of the things about it, other than getting a little bit of 
um, kind of Malbolgia lore at the end in this final issue. There's not a lot of of the Spawn lore in this. Um, and because it is an ensemble piece, we don't even get a lot of medieval Spawn, uh, Lieth, because, he, he again, we're not even sure who he is. He's not sure who he is. He thinks he's another character, you know, for the first part of the story. Um, so even what some of the characterization we think we're getting is not even accurate characterization. So I do wish we ha- it, it tied into the mythos of Spawn a little bit more, uh, and we got a little bit more of Lieth, maybe. Uh, but I just don't know that there was room, right? Uh, if this was the story that they wanted to tell, um, then there just, again, wasn't room. But it, it, it feels like you could swap out Medieval Spawn for any character, uh, you know, any just, you know, insert random fantasy character, and it still works. So I, I kind of wish it was more dependent on the, the Spawn mythos and the Spawn lore. It would feel more connected to the Spawn universe. But uh, that's a minor nitpick. Overall, it's a really enjoyable, great art. Uh, like I said. So that's going to do it for this episode. Um, next issue, uh, we're going to be talking about Spawn, or next episode, I should say. We're going to be talking about Spawn Wildcats, written by Alan Moore. Um, definitely a um, a very interesting story, I'll say. Um, make it a little smaller to see the whole thing there. Um, Alan Moore writing... Uh, Spawn and the Wildcats, yeah, it happened. It happened in the 90s. So that's what we'll be talking about on the uh, the next episode. So uh, we appreciate everybody joining us, as always. Um, we wouldn't do it if it wasn't for you guys uh, joining us to uh, check out these issues. And uh, we appreciate the comments. We appreciate all the subscribers. So be sure you head over to YouTube, uh, or if you're watching us on YouTube, uh, subscribe, ring the notification bell. We're really trying to get to 500 subscribers so I can monetize some of these, maybe offset some of the costs of, uh, of all the coverage. Uh, you know, it's, it's not, not cheap to produce podcasts and have your own website and whatnot these days. Uh, and I've never charged and I never will. Um, but if I could get a little ad revenue from YouTube, that would be fantastic. So just trying to hit that 500 subscriber mark. Um, so tell your friends, tell your fellow comic readers, uh, maybe they'd like to, uh, to check it out. And if you are checking us out on YouTube and you want to go back and listen to, you know, previous audio-only content, just go to wherever you get your podcasts, whatever platform or podcast app you use, and subscribe. Uh, there are literally thousands of past episodes of interviews, comic uh, reviews, uh, convention coverage, uh, all of that. So we appreciate the support. As always, uh, thanks for joining us, everybody, and we will talk to you next time.